Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey guys, this week on Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, I'm excited. I am joined by one of my very favorite people that you could ever possibly have on the line. That's Mr. Fred Eichler. Uh, Fred is a phenomenal guy. He's fun to talk to. Um, obviously, a wealth of knowledge to pull from. Uh, and me and Fred, we talk about our recurve setups for the year. Uh, we talk about how to build confidence in your setups. Uh, we talk about different hunts coming up and different things we've got coming up and things we're excited about. Um, it's just always a fun conversation to have with Fred. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Blocker Outdoors. I always rave about Scentlock. Uh, Blocker is also owned by Nexus. And with turkey season coming up, I am pulling out all of my Blocker. Blocker is... They've got everything you would ever need for turkey hunting and for hunting out west. Uh, Fred is a big blocker guy, and uh, I have come to absolutely love it, especially in the turkey woods. Um, they just came out with a new line of turkey gear. So, guys, I would highly encourage you, if you're gearing up for turkey season, you have to go check out Blocker Outdoors. But, guys, thanks for tuning in. I can promise you it's going to be a fun episode. Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um, I met a, a friend of mine. His name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, if, if they say we're a nonprofit and we do all this and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some, some field of conservation. I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, but also I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. All right, Fred. Well, man, you just got back from uh, from Greenland, correct? Yeah, you know, it was pretty awesome. Uh, I'm also an avid waterfowl guy. I love it. Um, you know, any, you know, I like it all. But uh, some of my best times have actually been uh, using my recurve to shoot quail, pheasants out of the air, goose out of the air, and things like that. But on this trip to Greenland, we were actually after some very unique ducks uh, and didn't, didn't take the bow, but took the shotgun. Uh, and it was king eiders and common eiders and old squaws and just some really cool sea ducks uh, that were yeah. up there. So it was, it was pretty awesome. Man, I have oftentimes said that waterfowl hunters are just they've got a couple wires crossed they're wired a bit different and then if you take somebody and they waterfowl hunt with a bow that person's just a maniac like that yeah yeah just not just not right in the head i agree i agree yeah even turkeys man you know it cracks me up turkey season's about to start and i'm sure like you i'm getting ready for turkey season there's turkeys running all over and 
you know, I, I uh, you know, pretty excited about that. I'm getting to try out a prototype Cabela's turkey chair. And, you know, I just got all kinds of fun stuff going. You know, I'm going to do some hunting down in Florida and Georgia and Colorado and chasing some turkeys around some different places. And that's, you know, to me, most people think of turkeys, they, they start grabbing their shotguns and, you know, figuring out what shot they're going to use and patterning their guns. And, you know, I'm out there shooting my shooting my bare recurve and, you know, checking out my arrow flight and, you know, practicing shooting from a chair or from a blind and, you know, getting my decoys ready to roll and putting feathers in, you know, my, my Montana decoy, you know, just, oh, yeah. it's, it's fun. It's fun getting ready and calling and, you know, practicing with your diaphragms or your box or your slate. Just a good time of year, man. Speaking of your recurve, I want to jump into this. So, uh, we, we did a podcast right when the bow came out, um, all about the bow, um, talking about, you know, the release of the bow and all the details of the bow and, and kind of how, uh, you and the guys at bear came up with this bow. That was before I actually had mine. Uh, I had shot one, but that was before I had mine. Uh, and bear, when I did my video for the bow, uh, talking about my thoughts, all I said was, good job, Bear, and good job, Fred, uh, because it's a shooter. Um, now that I actually have my bow, let me just go into a little more detail. It is Please by do. far. I love it, man. And, I'm, and I'm getting all kinds of – I'm getting cool emails, and, and I get – share why. Oh, I, I'm just excited to hear what you have to say. I've had so much fun getting – emails and texts and stuff from people all over the country that are, that, you know, as they're getting this bow in their hand, but please tell me from firsthand what your experience is. By far the best, the, the, the easiest bow that I've ever tuned in my entire life. Um, yes. you know, Fred, I'm kind of a, and I've shared this with you in the past. I'm an anal tuner. Um, you know, I, I, I take that maybe too far into depth. Um, and so sometimes just, uh, I, I think you, know, you just made up a word. Yeah. I think you just made up a word, anal tuner. Yeah, I've never heard that one, but okay, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. There you, there you go. <laughs> I, okay, I'm, I'm I'm anal about the way I tune uh, that, that, That's what I'll say. Um, and so sometimes, with that being the case, sometimes, man, tuning a tuning a bow is a job uh, because. You go into all these things and, and you know, it's it, anyways. And so I set out to tune this bow and I'm like, you know, hey, let's throw on some tunes. Let's get some coffee brew and let's go out and tune a bow. And within five shots, this thing was shooting bullet holes through paper. And I was just like, well, this never happens. Like this is just I don't know if it's just because the bow's so easy to shoot. I don't know if it's because it, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, the bow tuned in about five shots, shooting bullet holes. And that just never happens for me. I love it. I love it. Which, uh, you know, uh, there's so many things that I think help that bow, um, that help that bow uh, be so easy to tune. And, you know, a lot of it's not rocket scientists, you know, or science. A lot of it's, uh, you know, shortening the shelf up so you have less feather you know, you, you have less feather contact. A lot of people with those big wide shelves, um, which was common, especially back in the day. And sadly, I still see it on recurves today. Um, but, you know, being able to get the feathers out without that feather contacting um, that rest and kicking it up, you know, same thing on the, you know, you know, same. So not only is a thin shelf important because that, you know, one of the hen feathers, depending on how you turn, you know, a cock feather isn't hitting the side or on the top of that shelf. You know, same thing with the beveled shelf. You have a lot less surface area, you know, a lot less contact of the arrow on that shelf as well. So that also reduces feather kick coming off of there, as well as arrow drag. You know what I mean? You're just the least amount of contact you can have on that arrow, the better. And that's why if you look at even compounds, that's one of the reasons the dropaways became so popular and the dropaways became popular on compounds because it was just less contact yeah. on the actual arrow itself. So, you know, by taking that over and, and taking that same concept and putting it to recurves, um, you know, especially with the different size shelf adjustments that we have there, man, it just made that bow, which 
you know, bears come up with a good bow forever, but just some of the small changes that we made on, on that shelf, you know, and then the side plate adjustment, I, I, I think those three combinations make a huge difference for what you found and what so many other people are finding is that that's a really easy bow to tune now. And like you said, it's a lot of times it's work. You get a bow and you're like, okay, time for me to start tuning my bow and let's, you know, let's have a whole pile of arrows and let's have a pile of different point weights. And let's, how many times am I going to have to put a new piece of butcher paper up to adjust this? And, you know, being able to make it a simple process is great. A hundred percent. And that was, I was so incredibly pleased with just the, the tune of the bow. Um, I did want to walk through uh, your setup and my setup on the Eichler Signature Series. Um, your arrow setup, arrow weight, broadhead weight, broadhead setup, um, kind of how that fell into place for you. What First off, where'd that bow brace height wise tune for you at? So for me, it's eight and a half. Okay. I'm so I'm, 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 you're at seven and three quarters. Okay. You know, you know, again, you know, a lot of that's, uh, you know, it's all dependent on how you hold the bow, how you shoot the bow. And that's a great thing about a recurve is you can tune it back and forth and, you know, see what works best for you. But at eight and a half, mine's quietest, yeah. um, seems to shoot the best and, and everything works great on arrow weight. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of things with, I think we've learned a lot about traditional archery. Uh, from back in the day. And I say that because we've made a lot of improvements on things like better laminations. So we have faster bows, um, you know, better designs, you know, because of engineering and, you know, to mean the technology that we have today, um, better materials. So we could make a smaller riser and, and, and things like that. Smaller Diameter arrows, uh, you know, we've proven that you get better penetration with a smaller diameter arrow. So, you know, better string materials. Uh, we've got better string materials than those guys did, you know, back in the day. And what I'm getting to is that although there's been a lot of changes, one of the things that, that Fred Bear said a long, long time ago is that a good rule of thumb for arrow weight is 10 grains per pound of bow weight. So if you're shooting a 40-pound bow, that's a 400-grain arrow. If you're shooting a 45-pound bow, that's a 450-grain arrow. And I'm telling you, Fred knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, you know, to me, I still use that as, as a great rule of thumb, whether I'm, you know, shooting something huge, you know what I mean, a moose, a buffalo, whatever, or I'm shooting something smaller. I think Fred had it dialed in. Um and, you know, again, I think FOC is important. I like to have that front of center weight. But, you know, for, for arrow weight, I run it at about 10 grains per pound. And I'm running three different setups right now with three different, you know, bow limbs and links, you know, basically for whether I'm in a ground wire and whether I'm shooting in a tree stand. But almost every time I try and run my arrow weight to where it matches up with, with Fred's old, you know, Fred's old, you know, uh, algorithm, I guess you would say, which was 10 grains per, uh, you know, per pound of bow weight. And it seems to me that that works out about perfect. Now, I remember one time in a conversation, um, I think it was right when you came to bear, actually, you talked about how you shoot pretty much everything in North America with a 43 pound bow. Is that still where you fall? Is that that 43-pound mark, or have you so every, it up down? I took pretty much all 29 with a 54-pound bow, um, you know what I mean, on, on, on limbs. I've taken that down a little bit as my shoulders, you know what I mean, and, you know, as I get older and my shoulders are tore up, I've, I've killed deer with 35 pounds, and, uh, you know, last year I killed two bulls with 45 pounds. Um, killed a bull in Oregon, and it was – 42 yards, I think. And then I killed a bull in Colorado and he was close 24 yards. I think, um, you know, both of them incredible penetration, you know, no problem. And, you know, again, lighter bow weight, but I was, you know, using that 10, 10 grains, you know, per pound of bow weight to match it up. But so, yeah, so right now that would be accurate. I'm between 43 and 46, 47 pounds on pretty much everything right now. And that's including, you know, last year I shot brown bear, black bear, caribou, multiple elk, whitetail, mule deer, 
antelope, um, you know, and didn't have any penetration issues at all with that lighter poundage. So, and, and, you know, I, to each their own, you know, whatever you have found that works well for you, uh, that's a hundred percent what you should shoot. But what do you say to this new crowd of people that like think that you have to have an 80 pound compound or a 90 pound compound or, you know, they're like, man, that's the biggest question I get asked is like, when's bear going to make an 80 pound compound? And I'm like, probably when you need one, like, but you know, so I'm like, man, guys shoot elk and, and the, you know, moose with 45 pound recurves, but yet you think you have to have 80 in a compound for it to, to function well. I, I don't get it. Well, and, and I agree with you, Dylan, you know, to each his own. I try not to push my, you know, stuff on other people. I, you know, everybody should do what they, what they feel, but, um, you know, facts are hard to get away from. And, you know, the fact is if, if you, and I don't care who it is, you put a guy in a tree stand <clears throat> with an 80 pound compound and you put a, put a guy in a tree stand with a 55 pound compound and have them both draw and video them and see who makes the most movement. So, you know, it, it's just, and, and also let's say they lose opportunity on that shot and they have to let that bow down, video them letting those bows down and tell me who has the most movement. So, you know, a lot of times yeah. to me, I look at things from a hunting perspective. I'm, I, you know, I'm a hunter. I identify as a hunter. That's what I do most of the time. All my practice, you know, any shoots that I do are, are, uh, are a practice for hunting. And for me, it makes perfect sense. Even with a recurve, if I've got light enough poundage, just because I can draw heavier, if I've got a light enough recurve where I can come back and I can anchor and hold it for five seconds, that beats the heck out of a recurve that if I don't let it go, as soon as I get back, I start shaking all over the place. Well, that gives me a huge advantage because if I need to wait a second for that leg to slide forward or for that animal to turn a little bit, I'm not having to let down and redraw and re-anchor. Re so there are so many advantages to a lighter bow in a hunting situation, as long as you have a, enough bow and enough kinetic energy for the job that uh, it, it, I wouldn't even begin uh, to, to belabor the point with somebody that believes that, you know, 80 pounds is better or a heavier recurve is better because they either, in most cases, um, probably don't have the experience hunting uh, if they did, they would see the advantage of a, of a lighter setup. Now, unless that's just some behemoth of a guy that a hundred pounds to him, oh, is nothing. So he drops down to 80 pounds because that's super light and easy. But I've watched a lot of people right. having worked in multiple archery shops and having watched a lot of people hunt and having guided hunters for 30 years. I've, I've watched a lot of mistakes. I've watched a lot, a lot of animals get spooked. I've watched a lot of misses and, uh, you know, those, those heavier bows, you know, especially in awkward positions, you start watching guys shake or not be able to draw or they're cold or, you know, they finally get the bow back and it's a lot of movement, you know, whereas a guy that's got a lighter weight could just pull back slowly with a compound or a recurve. And then if they miss the shot opportunity to watch that guy with that heavy bow, you know, just try and come down, you know, man, I, you know, elk have spooked because I've had guys with too heavy a bows trying to let down where if a guy with a lot lighter bow, man, he could let it down a lot smoother with a lot less movement. And, you know, a lot of times we were able to call that elk back in or maybe get another shot or redraw on that animal. So, you know, to your point, I guess, right. yeah, to each, to each his own, but I, I would definitely say there are way more advantages uh, to a lighter bow. And, and again, you know, um, the point of the question wasn't to bash. I mean, again, if, if 80 pounds makes you more confident by all means, shoot 80 pounds. Um, if, if you are confident in your setup and that's what you shoot well, then by all means, that's what you should shoot. Um, which it brings me into my next kind of point about confidence. Um, I put out a video building my arrows for the Eichler signature series and you know, I was 
I was spinning them to find out which end had wobble and I was cutting them from that end and I was squaring each, each end. And somebody said, dude, you're shooting a recurve. You'll never shoot the difference. Like you'll never shoot well enough to straighten up, you know, an arrow out and square them all off. And you're never going to shoot good enough to notice that difference. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. But what if I do like, what if, what if something happens And what if I release an arrow just the wrong way to where that wobble is magnified um, or to where, you know, the the arrow being being point zero zero one inch less straight than it could have been? What if I shoot in the exact way to where that's magnified Um, or, or, or what if I don't have confidence in my arrow because I didn't do these things? Why wouldn't I do that? Why? Why wouldn't I want the straightest arrow that I could possibly have? Like, why wouldn't I want? the best built arrow that I could possibly have so that I have the most confidence in my bow setup. And so that you're right, I'm never going to shoot the difference. Like I'll never even shoot the difference between a 0.006 and a 0.001. However, do you mean to tell me that that's going to hurt my shooting? Or is there any way that could possibly make me a worse shot or could it only make me a better shot? Um, And so, you know, I do those things not because if I don't, then I'm going to notice some, horrible breakdown in my shot and however it's never going to hurt my shot it's never going to make me a worse shot but it can definitely make me a better shot and it can definitely give me more confidence in my shot um it can definitely make that bow easier to tune uh because of you know discrepancies between arrows and um so that's just you know build confidence in your setup and whatever that looks like for you if that's an 80 pound compound so be it if that's you know knock tuning every every arrow for a recurve that yeah you're right i'm never going to shoot the difference but i still want to know that each arrow i pick up is perfectly set up um that's how i build confidence in my setup that's what i do so i I couldn't agree with you more when you you know when you were saying that i was smiling and nodding because you know when somebody says you, you won't shoot the difference yeah okay i may not but let's say we could prove that that makes a quarter inch difference at 30 yards. How many times has a quarter inch difference made the difference between catching lungs or catching a major vein or artery? You know, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I agree with you. I, I think any tiny little thing I can do to a, not only help my mental state of I've done everything I can do to, you know, have the most accurate setup I can, but especially with whether it's arrows or broadheads or, or, or string, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I would argue that maybe you do shoot the difference or maybe it makes a tiny little difference at that, you know, maybe you've hit an animal and now you have to take a 60 yard shot to try and, you know, put another arrow in it. You know, would that arrow that wasn't perfect make a little bit of a difference? Well, of course it would. So, you know, like you said, I think it's a combination of not only confidence, uh, but also there is a real measurement to that. You know, there's a there there is a yeah. there is an actual real measurement you could put to that and go, yeah, that that does make a difference. And you know, this is what it is. And yeah, maybe there's an argument to where I'm not a good enough shot to make it glaring or obvious. But that's kind of like shooting a rifle to me and going, eh. You know, a two-inch group at 100 yards is good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's okay, but yeah. would you rather have that under an inch if you could do a couple little things? So, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I apply everything, especially when it when it comes to shooting um, anything. I think it's kind of the hunter's responsibility, too, to try and take out as many variables as you can take out. Because if you leave one variable, which is maybe – you know, an arrow that's not cut perfectly straight or, you know, or, you know, or something that's got an imperfection in it. And maybe that only makes a 1% difference. And then you go, okay, but then I'm going to put an arrow, you know, a broadhead on there. That's a little bent or it's not, not, you know, not as expensive as another broadhead that might be, you know, that might fly a little truer. And that makes a 1% difference. Oh, and my feathers, you know, I'm missing half a feather and that may only make a 1% difference. It doesn't take too long because before you've reduced your chances of harvesting an animal by five or 10%, by ignoring a lot of those tiny that's little right. things. That's right. Um, and that's what, you know, I do, I do want to make note too. Like, I, I don't want you to listen to this and think, oh, well, I can only afford the .006 arrows, but Dylan and Fred are saying I have to buy the .001. That's not what I'm saying either. Uh, because 
you know, for a long time, I told people you're wasting your money to get 0.001 because I can take 0.006 and straighten it up, you know, by cutting uh, fr from whatever end has a wobble in it. Um, and so whatever arrow that you can afford is what you should shoot. Um, I'm just talking about making the most out of that arrow setup. So if you go with a 0.006, that's great. That's fine. Um, but again, put it on a spinner and, and find which side has the wobble in it and cut from that side. And you'll end up with the straightest arrow possible, uh, which will make you the best shot possible. So, um, that, that's, that's not the point I wanted to make in that comment was that you have to buy 0 0.001. Um, which by the way, again, kudos to Fred Eichler and Easton on, uh, the new carbon legacies. They fly phenomenal as well. Yeah, we're pretty excited about that shaft. It's and it's a good looking shaft too. It's 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 uh I've been really tickled. Oh my with gosh, it. yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, the the only thing I could say to Gary, um I ran into him at AT and the only thing I could say to him was, dude, they perform as good as they look. Like they look sexy right out of the box. Um and then they shoot sexy right out of the box. Like that's just all you can say about them. They they fly really good and they look phenomenal. They do. They really do. And, and, you know, they've got some neat barring and they've got some neat uh, offerings out there for, you know, already fletched. Uh, but you can also go and, you know, I think you can get them from three rivers to bear shaft or three rivers can fletch you up some too. Yep. So, you know, there's, you know, or for guys that like to fletch their own, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities and, you know, there's, there's a bunch of really neat uh, traditional places out there, Lancasters. I mean, there's a bunch of places out there that you can get, you know, different arrows and different stuff from. Uh, but it's nice to have that option too. You know, if you want to get them fletched up and ready to go, you know, for guys that don't have time or don't want to mess with it, it's nice to know that that's an option available as well. I did maybe just spend a little too much money at Three Rivers. I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> I mean, that's easy to do, man. It that is, is easy it to is. do. Um, but no, I just I wanted to try some new broadheads. I wanted to switch it up and and try something new. And uh, I ordered some veins. Uh, I actually run the trad veins on uh, all my recurve setups. Um, so I ordered some new veins, uh, to flesh some arrows up with. I did notice, however, Easton doesn't offer your, your tried and true pink feathers, um, on that arrow, which they should. It's your arrow. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, that's that there's something about that pink. I'm telling you, plus it matches my underwear. So it's that confidence thing. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Guys. I oftentimes say that I always have a binocular harness on my chest. What good is a binocular harness without a good set of binoculars? I am a sucker for fine Japanese glass. I love good optics. I love spending time behind it. Um, it's just fun. It's fun to go out and look at stuff. Um, but also, good optics make spotting and looking through them a whole lot more enjoyable. Koa Optics does it and does it better than anyone else, in my opinion. They have some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. It's all I've used for the past... I don't know, eight years or so. This right here, the Koa 55, is one of the best products ever made in the history of the universe. It is the smallest, most compact scope you can get, but it still offers phenomenal glass. It's really hard to find a, a spotter that is this small, this light, this compact. You can throw it in your backpack. You can leave it in your truck. It's so small and so compact, but it still offers phenomenal glass. This is one of my favorite products ever guys if you're in the market for new optics i would highly encourage you to check out koa optics because they are in my opinion the best glass that you can buy go check them out i did want to ask you do you ever run any kind of uh because the first thing that that uh, somebody mentioned about the bow was no grip option uh you know on the mag riser you had the rubber grip that you could you know take off or or put on I know you took that grip off that bow because you like the the thin uh, metal grip. Um, was that ever kind of a a, a point of, of discussion with the Eichler bow uh, on a grip or grip material or anything like that? So, you know, it was. And that, again, uh, I like a bow that you control, a smaller grip. And, again, you can't make people happy all the time. It doesn't matter what you do. The majority of people, a vast majority, love it with no grip like the fact that you can control it better and sits in your hand better. You know what I mean? You don't have it fishing around. Um, there are some people that, you know, that were like, man, 
if it's really cold, I want a grip. My point is, if it's really cold, I've got a glove on. You know what I mean? If it's really cold, I'm probably not bare handing a plastic grip anyways. So I'm going to be wearing a glove. And if I'm wearing a glove, do I want a glove and a grip that just gives that, you know, bow more opportunity to kind of fish around in my hand? So there's all kinds of aftermarket stuff. I think some guys have an aftermarket grip you can put on there. Some of the older bear ones will, will work on there still. Um, but there's guys that are putting, you know, I've seen some guys put beaver tail, um, Jim, I think big Jim's, uh, he's got one that he, you know, puts on there. So I've seen guys wrap it. You know what I mean? If some guys want a little bit of wrap, they can wrap it. But like I said, my thing is when the weather's warm, uh, you know, you don't need anything. And if the weather's cold, I, odds are I'm wearing a glove. So for me, it's a, it's a non-issue. I think it's something that, you know, some guys go, ah, you know, I just feel more comfortable with a grip and there's certainly options available out there. And, and we may even have an opportunity, you know, opportunity from bear with something on that later, but right now there's some aftermarket stuff guys can do, or they can wrap it themselves. But, you know, again, just reiterate, if it's warm, you don't need a grip. If it's cold, when I'm wearing a glove, and I have a grip on, it just doesn't make that bow seat as well to me. So I designed the bow for me to be a, a, you know, the perfect hunting situation bow, but people like to tweak things all the time. So more power to them. I say, tweak it to, to make it work best, you know, for you. Yeah. And that is, um, you know, I, I prefer, uh, Wilson tennis racket tape, you know, it's two bucks at Academy sports, um, yep. and I, I really like that. Um, it's, it's comfortable in the hand. Uh, I hate, I despise gloves. Um, so man, if it's 10 degrees outside, I'm still probably not wearing gloves. Um, just because I, I hate my hands, um, having gloves on them. So, um, I do run it with a grip specifically for the cold because I despise gloves. However, um, if you are going to wear gloves, because a lot of the new gloves, you know, have that that the traction pads on them. Um, so if you're running the Wilson tape and you try to use the gloves with the traction pads, dude, all of a sudden you've opened up a world of hurt for, for, for keeping that bow in your hand. Um, you have, because you've got a grippy tape and a grippy palm on your hand. Uh, you have opened up a world of hurt for tweaking that. Bow. Um, Harold's going to go sideways. On. If, yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, so if you are going to use um, a, a, a glove, I certainly wouldn't wrap it with the grip tape on it. So, so Fred, what do you got? Uh, what do you got coming up this fall? What what what's this year for you? You got any big hunts book? Yeah, uh, uh, you know all kinds of stuff. Like a lot of people, I put in for a ton of tags, and I'm waiting to see what I drew. Um, put in for tags in 20 some states. So, you know, I'll, I'll see, uh, I'll see how that pans out for me. Um, you know, as usual, I've got a bunch of tags here in Colorado as well that, you know, I should draw. Um, and then the normal stuff, man, just excited chasing all kinds of stuff. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, the hogs, the turkeys right now, I, I usually go from what I can hunt at the time. And, you know, so right now I'm getting geared up for small game and turkeys and, you know, I'm pretty excited to get out there and chase turkeys in Florida and chase turkeys in Georgia, chase tur- turkeys in Colorado and, you know, wherever else I could chase them. So, you know, turkey's kind of on the, you know, it's on the, on the front of my mind right now. Cause that's the season that's here. Uh, old man once told me the best way to become a good bow hunter is to bow hunt small game. There you go. And, and, and just shoot all the time, man. Just, you know, shoot it, shoot it, frog, shoot it, fish, shoot it, you know, shoot everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what you got to do, man. Um, I did want to, to, to your son. I don't know if this is public information yet. Um, but your son shot a Buffalo yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, that was pretty cool. You know, he, 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 uh, he did, he used a handgun, but he, uh, w- it was fun. You know, we, our, our herd's getting a little big and we need to trim a few down and that meat is absolutely amazing. And, uh, so that was pretty dang cool. We went out and, uh, he, uh, he made a great shot, you know, you know, took it right in the heart and he's, uh, you know, he shoots a little of everything. Trent's harvested animals with bows and pistols and, rifles and ARs and a little bit of, a little bit of all of it. But, uh, 
you know, that was, that was a pretty, pretty fun one. So it's all, I mean, like I said, I, I, I enjoy it all. And uh, just all the experiences are fun. And, you know, some of that wild meat. And if you haven't eaten buffalo, man, there's a reason it's so dang expensive in the store. It's pretty dang tasty. Yeah. Um, now, do you do any kind of – do you shoot a compound at all anymore? Um, um, you, is that ever something man, you grab and, it's, and do? It's pretty rare. It's it's pretty rare. I don't have a problem with compounds at all. Um you know, but, you know, if I shoot one, it's usually because, you know, I've hurt a shoulder or, you know, I'm pitching hay and, you know, a shoulder hurts a little bit. Um, but, yeah, not 90, you know, 95% of everything I do is 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 with the recurve just because that's what I enjoy the most. And, I, you know, I don't have a problem shooting anything. I mean, I enjoy it all. But, yeah, the uh, yeah the, re- the recurve's the go-to. So, I, I don't think I – I'm just trying to think. I don't think I shot anything with a compound last year. Yeah, I was trying to think. I shot three bears with a recurve, caribou, two elk, antelope, whitetail mule. I think I think another white. I think dang near everything I shot last year was recurve bow. So yeah, I, I didn't I didn't shoot the compound at all last year. Um, possibly the year before. The year before that, I grabbed it and shot a deer. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, the recurve. That's just you know. It, it, it's kind of like your go-to it's what you it's you know what you enjoy the most right. so that's what i that's what i grabbed the most now if i remember correctly i actually remember you saying one time um that when you want a challenge when you want a challenge you pick up a compound oh yeah that's a lot that's tougher fun. i think in a lot of ways it, it's it, it can be easier on your shoulder it can be a little easier on your shoulder, you know what I mean? Like if you're having some aches and pains, but that would be it. But, you know, as far as other stuff, yeah, I think a recurve or a longbow, I think once you get efficient with one of those, they're so much easier in so many ways. You know, I, I don't have to have as much gear. I don't have to carry a rangefinder. Uh, the bow itself is a ton lighter. I don't have sights and rests and releases and, you know, a quiver and, you know, Heck, you know, a buddy of mine, I think we were we were talking and laughing because we had to tighten up some screws on his bow. And I think we counted like 36 set screws on his compound. And I was like, man, that's 36 different screws that could come loose on you. That's like, you know, that's 36 more things that could go wrong. So, you know, there's some of that stuff that you go, woo. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I don't have a problem with the compound. Love it. You know what I mean? I've shot a compound, had some great hunts with the compound. But yeah, my my favorite by far and what I think I am the most efficient with would be a traditional bow, um, you know, for sure. See, I remember, um, and kind of right when you were coming to Bear was when I started shooting a, a, a recurve. Um, and I remember after you told me that, I remember thinking to myself, and I, I might have even said it on the podcast, I wish I could get to that point. Like, I wish I could get to the point of, like, I feel more confident with this than I do anything else. And just last year, I was in a ground blind in Oklahoma, and a doe comes out. I have my compound, uh, and a doe comes out, and I'm at full draw, and literally, I think to myself, I'm like, I wish I had my recurve because I'm at full draw, and I don't feel as confident with this as I would with my recurve. And uh, so I shot the doe, and... At the end, I was just like, somebody asked me, like, so what happened? How was it? You know, and I'm like, well, I learned one thing. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, I I enjoy my recurve more. And they're like, well, you didn't have your recurve. What do you mean? And I'm like, I know. But I was literally at full draw thinking, I wish I had my recurve. Like, that's what, that was the difference. Like, I had, I had built enough confidence in my recurve and shot it enough that I felt like I would be better off with that at full draw than I would have with my compound at full draw. And so um, that was the case, at least for the beginning of the season. But by the end of the season, while I had missed a, a whitetail and wounded a bear, then I thought, man, I wish <laughs> I wish I had my compound now. But <laughs> well, that, that'll always that'll always play games with you. But, you know, you know, to your point, there's a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of times you go, man, that, you know, especially close shots. I mean, part of part of bow hunting to me is those close shots and you get an animal within five yards, 10 yards. You can draw that recurve so much quieter, so much easier, so much smoother than you could a compound. So in close range shots, no comparison. Way rather have the recurve, you know, for sure. But one of the ways I proved it to a buddy of mine is he was like, I don't get it. Why, you know, 
why, why, you know, why the recurve, Fred? You know, you can shoot the compound and you shoot the compound good. And I said, man, it just gives me an advantage. And he goes, how does it give you an advantage? Why do you feel it's an advantage? And I was trying to explain it. And I said, let's go out and shoot. So we went out and he had a 3D target. I said, but let's agree that an eight ring on this 3D target, and you know, as far as hunting goes, is a kill zone. So an eight, 10, 12, we'll take those all out. It's either a kill shot or not a kill shot. So in other words, if you shoot in the 10, I shoot it in the eight, we tie type thing. And I said, how do you usually sit in the tree stand? And he said, well, I, I usually have my bow on a hanger. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, let's just hold our bow. Like there's a deer. I said, you say go and let's shoot that 3D deer target. Now it was only 20 yards away, which is actually about your average shot. You know what I mean? For, for most stuff in the field. I think average shot in Pope and Young on, on Pope and Young registered deer was only 26 yards. And that was up a little bit from what it used to be. But for argument's sake, we got 20 yards away from a 3D target. And I said, you say go and let's try and kill that deer as fast as we can. And he said, go. And I drew back and I shot the deer in the eight ring. I knocked another arrow. I shot the deer in the eight ring. I drew another arrow and I released at the same time he did. And he hit it in the 10 ring. And he went, got it. I got it. Understood. And he got it because he had to hook on his release. He had to draw his compound. He had to acquire his sights. And then he had to shoot. And I've got so many videos of times where I've shot an arrow and then shot another arrow within seconds that, you know, there's, you can't, there's so many advantages. The elk I shot last year in Colorado, Tim was videoing me and I had to turn around in the stand, literally leaning against my, I had a, thank goodness, you know, a hundred safety vest on, but I was leaning against it and I had to draw my bow at a goofy angle and shoot through some trees. Now I could have never in a million years done that with a compound. Now, are there shots that I could make with a compound that I couldn't make with a recurve? Of course. If, if there's a if there's a bull standing out there at 60 yards, you know what I mean, and I've got a little tiny you know gap or whatever, would I be more efficient with a rangefinder where I range it and know it's exactly 62 yards or whatever it is with pins, a level, a peep sight, drawback, anchor, and squeeze that shot off? 100%. In that scenario, for that type of a shot, the compound would be the more efficient weapon. But as a friend of mine told me what time, he said, Fred, he said, if I want to shoot a ping pong ball off your head, I'm going to get a compound bow and a range finder, pins, a release, and I'm going to shoot the ping pong ball off your head. He said, if I want to kill you, I'm going to grab a recurve or a longbow because odds are I won't know the yardage and it'll be a quick shot and I'd be more efficient with that. And you'll be running and, and, and I was like, there you go. That's an interesting, you know, it was an interesting analogy, but I was like, all right, that makes sense. And so, you know, uh, you know, there's, you know, you, you know, somebody could, could belabor the fact, but I mean, everybody's been in a tree stand where they went, man, if I had this weapon, it would be more efficient. But you can also play that game with a rifle and a compound. Like, oh, man, I could have oh, killed yeah. that one with a rifle. I could have killed it with a compound. Or, man, I could have taken that with this, but not with this. Or if I was left-handed, I could have taken that here, but I was right-handed, yeah. so I couldn't get turned there. But for me, in most, in most hunting, bow hunting situations, not shooting targets, but in most bow hunting situations, I find that a traditional bow just gives me a big advantage a lot uh, because a lot of times the shots are quick. Um, a lot of times I don't want to take the time to try and figure out yardage. A lot of times, you know, that deer just all of a sudden appears or that elk appears and it's like, oh my gosh, I got to shoot right now. And if I broke down every situation I've ever had in the field, it would definitely lean towards being able to shoot faster and accurate within 25 yards as opposed to shooting pinpoint maybe accuracy or a little bit more accuracy but slower well and that's what you know to your point you can play that game forever if i had my compound yeah. if i had a rifle you can continue to play that game forever um and, and you know to that person i just want to say this if you ever want to shoot a deer with your bow you have to leave your gun at home and if you ever want to shoot a deer with your recurve, you have to leave your compound at home. 
Like that's just how it goes. Um, if you try to decide, like I, man, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, if I was in a ground by, it's like, well, I'm gonna take my rifle and my bow. That way, <laughs> if they're at 200 yards, I can shoot them yep. with my rifle. And if they're at 30, I can shoot them with my gun. Or, or I'm sorry, with my bow. Well, what happens is you see that you see the deer at 200, you shoot it with your rifle. You don't yep. let it get to 30. You don't let it get to 20. Um, and, and so, you know, as long as I had that rifle with me, I was not going to shoot a deer with my, with my with my bow. And the same is true. Like, you know, I've heard of guys say, well, I'll take my compound and my recurve. And that way I'm like, but if that's the case, if that's how you want to play this game, you're going to shoot the deer when you see him at 43 yards stepping out of the bean in the bean field with your compound rather than trying to grunt at him or trying to wait him out and trying to get him to 20 yards with and shoot him with your recurve. Um, so you can always play that game of like, what ifs? Um, well, what if I had a bazooka? Well, yeah, I could have shot the deer a lot easier. Like, yeah, I mean, you can always continue to play that. Um, but I also, you know, somebody, I, I told that same kind of scenario to somebody. If I want to shoot an aspirin at a hundred, I'm going to use my compound. If I want to kill you, I'm going to use my recurve. And uh, they said, so you mean to tell me that in a zombie apocalypse, you're grabbing your recurve instead of a compound? I said, no, stupid. I said in a zombie apocalypse, I'm grabbing my AR. Like, so well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but if you only had to drop out a recurve, recurve for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice. absolutely. Nice. Um, no, I like no, this zombie apocalypse. To, yeah. <laughs> I wanted I like to that ask scenario because. I get that question a lot. Like, Dylan, are you traditional only? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Uh, I'll shoot anything. Like, when I go home for the holidays and I'm hunting with my dad, I'll shoot a rifle. I don't care. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm going on a hunt, I, I'll take a compound or a recurve, whatever I'm feeling that day. Um, the point of me beginning to shoot a recurve was not so that I can be traditional only, but so that I'm more well-rounded as an archer. And that's what I just think the whole hunting community should should try to focus on is being more well-rounded as a sportsman. So if you're a rifle hunter, try bow hunting for a season just to become a more well-rounded sportsman. If you're a compound hunter, try shooting a recurve for a year just to become a more well-rounded archer. Um, we don't have to be so single-track minded. We don't have to be so, well, I'm a waterfowl hunter. Well, that's great, but I think you should try deer hunting for a season just so you broaden your horizon so you become more well-rounded um you know if you're a deer hunter try going on a bear hunt uh just to become a little more well-rounded a little more versatile um that's that's always my goal at least i agree i i think that's good sound advice but i uh you know fred it was a heartbreak i was in idaho and <clears throat> i had a bear come out to 13 yards and I was just like, oh, chip shot, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Um, shot him with my recurve. Got a pass through. Um, I honestly thought the bear was going to die. He, he ran, you know, 80 yards and paused uh, for a good few seconds. And I honestly thought, man, he's going to drop right there. And he kept running off. And I'm like, dang it. He's still dead. Like, I just I just know he's dead. Um, I, I did shoot a bit high. Um, but the worst part of it was Fred, I hit right where I wanted to hit. Like I hit right where I was aiming. I just overcompensated for the height of the tree stand and for the angle of the shot, thinking I needed to shoot a little bit higher, uh, on the body. So it would come out. And then, you know, I, I saw it come out about mid body. Um, so my guess is I probably clipped top side of back lung. Um, but we just never found the bear and, uh, you know, I was so excited. It would have been my first bear with a recurve, um, which was kind of the goal I'd set for myself. I had shot a deer with my recurve, uh, but I thought it would be really cool to shoot a bear with my recurve in the mountains. And so that was my next kind of goal. And, um, it didn't happen last year. So hopefully it'll happen this year. Well, I hope it happens for you this year, buddy. So walk me through, um, you landed at eight and a half on your brace height. Um, when you are doing this, and and guys, if you want to know how Fred sets up his recurves, uh, we actually did a traditional one-on-one series not too long ago. 
Um, and we covered everything from finding, figuring out which bow to buy, to setting up that bow, to tuning that bow, to shot methods, to, I mean, everything. So, um, jump back and you can find that traditional one-on-one series. And we've got Fred, we've got Tom Clum, we've got, um, Chris Perino, we've got Aaron Schneider. We just have a whole list of traditional archers teaching you everything about traditional archery. But I did want to ask you, because I just went through the process, where do you start your brace height to figure out up or down? You know, where do you start that game at? So the, <laughs> you're going to laugh, but depending on the length of the limb and the length of, you know what I mean, the riser. But, you know, I, I look at it and put it to what looks right to me based on how much string I want touching the limb. I want a little bit of string on the limb, but I don't want a lot of it. If I've got an inch, inch and a half, you know, string touching the limb, to me, that's way too much. So first thing I do is I eyeball it or I'll start really low and then just start twisting it, three twists, shooting it, three twists, shooting it, three twists, shooting it. And I'm just looking for, like we discussed on your other podcast, that spot where it's the quietest. And you'll find that range and I'll make a note. As soon as I start hearing the difference, oh, it's getting quiet. I'll make a note and then I'll keep twisting the string and keep twisting the string and shooting and shooting. And then it'll hit a spot where it starts getting louder again. And I was like, okay. So almost like, you know, uh, tuning a guitar string, you, you know, boom, 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 you know, and you're doing the same thing where it's like, okay, yep, this is hitting that note that I want exactly. And you can go too far one way or too far one way. And with a recurve or a longbow, it's based on how loud that bow is. And so when it's the quietest and you can have a friend or, a, you know, one of your kids or, you know, sit there listening as well. But when it gets the quietest, that's when I go, boom, that's my brace height. And I adjust everything off that. I'll write that down. That's my brace height number. And then if I want to add moleskin to the limbs or then if I want to add, you know, string silencers or cat whiskers or whatever I want to add to even quiet that up even more, I'll add it on after that because it makes no sense putting it on before that. Um, you haven't got it at the quietest it will, you know, will be with just a bare string yet. So, you know, always do that with just a bare string, but that's how I adjust it. And you know, the, what works perfect for one person may not work perfect for the other. You know, I think I told you one time, draw your recurve and look in the mirror and see, see if that string doesn't come down and go, eh? you know, and then go back down. So a lot of it depends on how people hold the bow, um, how people release the string. So there is a lot of, you know, how heavy is your arrow? You know what I mean? How light is your arrow? There's a ton of different variables that go into that. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, how you particularly shoot your bow and how much string slap there is or what you're doing. So just because a brace height works for one person doesn't mean that brace height will work the same for the, for the next person. And that is, um, you know, going back to what you said, I think that's part of the reason. And we talked about the grip of the bow and we talked about how easy it is to tune. And I think those things have a direct correlation. I think that bow is becoming, uh, people are finding it easier to tune because it doesn't have a big fat wide grip for their hand to mess. The, 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 they're not torquing it different each and every time they shoot it. Uh, they have a consistent grip on that bow every time, and that's going to make it easier to tune. Because, man, right. I have had bows where I have had oh, bows. Well, I'll just, I'll just name it. The, the, the Kodiak Hunter, um, I loved that bow. I loved shooting. It was a joy to shoot. But tuning it was miserable because it's got such a fat little grip on it um, that my hand would change so much. You know, I'd have three arrows that are great, and I'd have four arrows that sucked. I'd have two arrows that were decent and I've had one arrow that was great and two arrows that would suck. And I'm like, I can't tune this bow because I can't hold the bow consistent enough to shoot it. Um, again, I loved that bow. That's the bow I shot the, the bear in Idaho with. I loved that bow, but it took me, it took me discipline. Like when I would go to shoot that bow, I would have to con constantly continually think about the way I was gripping that bow. Um, oh, yeah, see, it, it wasn't a bow I could just grab and my hand fall into place. Yeah. And that, that, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's what's so important about a grip that you control as opposed to the grip controlling you. And, you know, going back to that, right. that, that brace height, you know, it's, it, this isn't something new. You know, I tell guys the word fist smell, 
you know, fist mel and brace height basically the same, but that comes back from yeah. the old longbow shooters, you know, the English and French and, you know what I mean? They, they knew that, you know, fist mel on their longbows was super, super important. And they would literally measure it against their fist with their thumb up and go, okay, this bowstring, when I string it, needs to be right here for my bow to make it shoot the best. And that's how they could shoot accurately out at longer distances. They knew that's what they had to have. So, you know, it's certainly not new when it comes to recurves, longbows. Um, you know, they're, they're all unique, but things like you just mentioned, consistency makes a huge difference. Having that brace height set up for that individual bow and your style of shooting makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, after we did that first podcast and you talked about finding the, the quietest that bow will shoot, I actually put out a video, a tip, um, and I said, you know, this is how Fred tells me to do it. I said, maybe Fred's too traditional, um, but I downloaded a decibel reader. Um, you know, I just got a decibel reader on my cell phone for four ninety nine or whatever. You set it on a tripod, you shoot right beside your phone, and it's telling you when it gets quieter and when it gets louder every time you shoot. Um, so that's a that was my taking Fred's traditional tip and putting a little bit of of uh, technology. technology to it. Like download it. a decibel reader. I like it. Download I like a it a lot. Reader, and then it tells you when it's quieter. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, awesome. I got what I got one more question for you. The other day, All right, I'm asked ready. me, why do you put a why is said, Why do you put a uh, a stabilizer on your recurve? Um, the only I like answer I had for them. The only answer I had for them was because Fred Eichler does. And if it's good enough for Fred, it's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> so why do you run a stabilizer and does it make a massive difference in shooting a recurve? Not a massive difference, but it makes a little difference to me. I like a little, again, it helps keep that weight forward for me. And I think it helps offset like a quiver. Anything you add to your bow starts adding weight. You know what I mean? And can make that bow uh, react a little differently when you release the pressure. A little bit of weight up front to me just helps keep that string track, helps keep that bow follow through. I just think it, it it just helps me out a little bit as far as keeping that bow centered. Um, I just like a little bit of weight there um, out forward. I just help. I just think it helps keep it centered. So it makes a little bit of a difference for me. So I I like it. I've shot without. I've shot with. I prefer to shoot with one. No, I I, I did ask somebody this though. I said the person who asked me that. I said, well, have you ever watched uh, Olympic recurve shooters? And they said, yeah. So they have stabilizers on their bows, don't they? Why? Because it makes them a better shot. Um, so although I don't have a you know a thirty six inch stabilizer out front like they do, um, that's still going to make a, me a better shot. Uh, it's still going to balance the bow better for me. It's still going to take out some of the vibration. It's still going to take out some of the noise. It's the same reasons you have one on your compound is the same reasons to have one on your recurve. And, and, uh, so, you know, I choose to run one because again, it's going back to the whole deal with your arrows and, and micro tuning your arrows. Am I ever going to shoot a difference? Like, am I ever going to put a, a stabilizer on and shoot, you know, 4% better and that be measurable and be able to tell that? No, not at all. But, it's not ever going to hurt me to have it on there, but it can help me to have it on there. Uh, right. So why not have it help me? You know what I mean? Yes, sir. I'm with you. I actually, and, and, and you know, to each his own, but man, if you're out in the wind and you're trying to shoot in the wind, having a heavier bow uh, will make that, that arm less affected by the wind out, out, out in front of you uh, by having that bow just kind of set there being a little bit heavier you know what i mean yes sir i do so fred what is your uh what's your hunting 101 field note that one tip uh that the listener can take and make themselves a better hunter with take one shot take one shot every day it beats the heck out of 10 shots or 40 shots you know you you know that animal gives you one shot so it never matters to me when I go out and practice, I don't care where my second arrow goes. I don't care where my fourth arrow goes. The only one that matters to me is my first arrow. That's it. 
because in a hunting situation, that second arrow doesn't matter. So my practice, when I go out to practice, I'll go out and just take one shot. And I don't shoot it at the same yardage. I may shoot 10 yards one morning and 40 yards the next morning, 60 yards the next morning, you know, whatever. I bury it up. But I may think about that shot all day after I take it. But to me, that's the best practice you can do. So practice like you're going to hunt and you're going to hunt and it's just going to be one arrow. So, you know, to me, that's some of the best practice you can have is just, you know, taking that that one shot because doesn't. Doesn't matter, man. Doesn't matter. I, I shoot with guys all the time. They're like, oh, now I'm dialed in. I'm like, yeah, but you, you missed the whole target, your first shot. Yeah, but now I'm, you know, now I'm dialed in. Well, that, that doesn't matter, man. You, you miss, you miss that elk. You miss that deer. You miss that bear. You miss that whatever. So, you know, to me, that, that first shot's the only one that matters. So uh, it's almost exactly what I do. Um, so my plan is in the morning when I wake up, take one shot. Um, you know, like, and like you said, whether that's at 40 yards or 10 yards or two yards, I mean, whatever that's at, take one shot. Uh, if that shot sucks, you spend all day going, man, what did I do? Like, did I pull through my shot too much? Did I shoot on the collapse? Did I, was my grip off? Was it, you know, what did I do? And if that shot's great, then you start thinking about still what you did. Like, man, that felt perfect. How do I recreate that every time I shoot? And my shot broke perfectly. Everything felt good. You think about that all day. And then I go out in the evenings and I shoot for reps. Um, so if I, you know, if, if that morning was a great shot and I've spent all day long thinking about how good that shot felt, then that evening I'm trying to recreate the shot over and over and over again. If that shot was bad in the morning and I'm thinking, man, did I, did I drop my bow arm? Did I, did I shoot on the collapse? Well, now in the evening is my practice time. Uh, to try and fix those things that I did wrong. Um, so that's almost exactly what I do. So, I, man, I, I think that's a phenomenal tip. Excellent. Fred, where, uh, where, can, they, where can they find you at? Um, so we've got YouTube, uh, YouTube, YouTube shorts, Fred Eichler. You know, I've got a uh, Instagram page. Facebook page, Twitter page. So they can just look up Fred Eichler, Fred Eichler fan page, and uh, some of our stuff will pop up. And we post every day kind of what's going on or what we're doing or pictures from hunts that we're either just came back from or that we're going on. And then some of it's just some of the everyday, you know, farming. We're dropping calves right now. So, you know, the boys are working on, you know, farming. So between calves and farming and getting ready for season, and that's pretty much what it's all about. Guys, there's one fabric that if you're not wearing, you absolutely should be. It's a magic fabric. It changes everything about the way you layer, everything about the way you dress, everything about the way you hunt, and that is merino wool. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the benefits of merino wool, and I'm going to miss some for sure. But guys, whether it's summer or whether it's winter, uh, this is going to keep you cool in the in the summer. It's moisture wicking. It's going to pull the moisture away from your body, but it's also going to hold your heat in the winter. It is antimicrobial. It doesn't smell. It doesn't hold scent like other fabrics does. So if you're out on a five-day hunt, you don't have access to a washer, this is not going to hold your scent. It's not going to to get stinky and nasty. Um, it's also uh, quick drying. Um, you can hang this up in your tent. You can hang it up uh, on a clothesline. It's going to dry really quick. But the coolest part about Merino, in my opinion, is that when it gets wet, it still maintains it still maintains its warmth properties. So if there's a light rain or a snow and this gets wet, it's still going to keep me warm. There's no itch. There's it's it's non-allergenic. It's an amazing, an amazing fabric. Minus thirty three. I stumbled upon minus 33 by accident. I was on backcountry.com and they were having a blowout sale. I needed some new Merino for a hunt that was coming up. And so I, I dove in, I bought it. And when I got it, it was the softest, best Merino I have ever felt in my entire life. I've not worn anything but minus 33 socks for everyday life, whether I'm hunting, hiking, or just, you know, out for the day. I haven't worn anything but minus 33 socks in over a year and a half. Every single day I'm wearing their underwear. Every single time I'm out hunting, whether it's 100 or whether it's 5, I'm wearing some sort of beanie to cover up my chrome dome and to keep that covered up and warm uh, or cool Whether if it's in the summer. But also, um, that UV protectant, I like to wear it in the summer. Um, 
Guys, minus 33 does Marino, in my opinion, better than anybody else does it. Go check out minus 33 for all your Marino wool. And if you haven't ever tried Marino, guys, you are missing out. It will change the way you layer. It will change the way you hunt. Go check out Marino wool and go check out minus 33. Guys, if you have not shot the Fred Iker Signature Series recurve, I would highly, highly encourage you to do it. It's a phenomenal shooting, but it's a fun bow to shoot. Um, and it's just pretty stinking sexy. I mean, it's a good looking bow. Um, so if you haven't shot one yet, if you haven't checked it out yet, I would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I hope you hunt hard and never stop learning. Stop learning.